Linnaean. The Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of, of London. 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 Linnaean Society of London. My name is Dr. Mark Spencer, and I'm the honorary curator of the plant collections at the Linnaean Society. I've been involved in museum collections and herbariums for many years, and I have a long-standing interest in invasive species. And I actually act as an advisor on some of the UK government and um, NGO programmes around invasive species in the UK. So first things first, what is an invasive plant? Invasiveness is a, a really interesting concept and it means very different things to different people. One thing I think it's fair to say for us in the scientific community, a invasive plant is quite different to an invasive plant in the garden. Uh, many people who are gardeners are think of invasive plants as being something that makes their flower bed messy or annoying or something like that. The definition scientifically is essentially quite different. An invasive species is an organism which causes significant damage, harm or destruction to an ecosystem or another species and potentially leading to their extinction. So we actually have quite a high bar on what invasiveness is. Um, it really has to be something that has caused really quite significant damage. And also a thing that's very interesting for many people and quite surprising is actually, we don't limit the idea of invasiveness purely and simply to non-native species. In fact, some native species can be invasive under certain circumstances. What is native and what is non-native? Now, again, for the scientific community, we tend to use the language quite differently in which wider society uses these words. Um, and for a biologist, a native plant is a plant which has arrived in any given natural, in any given region through natural processes, through non-human mediated activity. So through birds dispersing seed through gradual climate change shift and environmental change over hundreds of thousands of years. So a native plant would be oak, for example, which came to Britain through range dispersal after the last ice age. Whereas a non-native organism is something that has arrived in the landscape through our activities. Um, and another fine example of that would be the poppy. The poppy is so widespread in, in our landscape that people think of poppy as being a native plant. It's not. It was introduced um, accidentally as a seed contaminant by um, Neolithic farmers several thousand years ago. But it has become part of our ecosystem and environment. And these things underpin that key point, which is native and non-native are neither good nor bad. Their statements of process and about understanding how something has come to be in a particular place. Again, I think it's quite interesting that when we talk about non-natives and invasive species, we, we focus and the non-natives on the negative. Um, and I'll talk momentarily about an example which is close to hand heart for me, which is London. You know, London's flora is now very largely made up, particularly in central London, of non-native plant species, many of which actually, frankly, confer very significant and important ecosystem services for other forms of wildlife. One of my favourite of which is a plant called um, hoary mustard with the delightful scientific name of Hirschfeldia incarna. Um, and this is a and this is a southern European plant which was introduced in the 19th century and very gradually and very slowly 
colonised a few urban parts of southern Britain. But it's fair to say, largely in response to climate change over the last 30 or so years, that has become massively more frequent in many parts of southern Britain. And as a member of the cabbage family, it's a plant that is essentially a generalist. It actually supports a wide range of insects for pollination reasons. Um, so it provides a very, very valuable nectar source in many urban parts of, of London. So non-native species are a really, really important part of our ecosystems. Again, I make the point that one in a hundred or so can potentially be disastrous. We should not be blithely encouraging the movement of non-native organisms around the world because we don't know the consequences. Um, the movement in the 19th century, of the, the, particularly in the British Empire, of the naturalisation societies had disastrous consequences. These were organisations that thought it would be a wonderful idea to take foxes, blackbirds, blackberries, all sorts of jolly things and take them to Australia, New Zealand, India and other parts of the British Empire with very, very significant negative ecosystem and, and well-being consequences in those countries and regions. So... Yes, we need to be thinking mindfully about how things will shift. Climate change is rapidly causing the climate envelope and the distribution envelope of these organisms to shift. And what we once, once thought of as a non-native is actually, you know, or not, not native, is potentially becoming native. A recent example of that for the UK um, is a little orchid from the Mediterranean region um, called Serapius parviflora, the small flowered oh, tongue orchid. Um, and this is a species which 100 years ago there is no way would have grown in wild in Britain, far too cold. 40 odd years or so ago, I think 30 odd years ago, a tiny colony was found in Cornwall that didn't persist. And then five years ago, uh, a colony was found growing on a roof in a roof terrace, in one of these green roofs in central London, almost certainly blown from um, central southern Europe by, um, by the wind. Orchid seed is very, very small and wind dispersed. That's the best hypothesis we've got. So this is a species which would have viewed previously as non-native, but it has got here under natural means through the wind. And in many ways, we would, could view it as a, a new native or a neo-native but that in itself opens up the question of uh, what is a real um, environment in many respects. You know, climate change has turned environmental parameters inside out for biodiversity in a way that we're not really, in many cases, societally noticing. But the flora and fauna around us are responding to it. So is it that this species is non-native and only here because we cause the climate to go inside out or do we accept the fact that that climate parameter has driven a natural range expansion these are all questions of language in many ways we you know we understand the process you know wind dispersal climate change colonization so i think you, we just need to be mindful about how language is used to understand real biological processes. Um, this species, I believe, will probably become more widely established in southern Britain and will become a rather delightful part of our flora. Has our understanding of the meaning of invasive changed over time? I would say, you know, views on invasiveness have shifted. You know, science is an evolving 
um, world in which we live, you know, we think about things scientifically very differently, you know, scientific viewpoints are not static. So yes, invasiveness as a concept has shifted through time and it, you know, it also develops slightly differently within scientific dif disciplines, you know. Um, us botanists have slightly different views around, you know, potentially about how invasiveness operates than maybe some organi other organism groups. So it is a constantly evolving idea, but the core thing is that we're very, very mindful about it being significant harm. That is the core guiding principle these days, or destruction. Um, so we're quite careful on that um, because it has consequences for communicating what invasiveness is and frankly it also has logistical resource implications if a biologist such as myself was to trot around going oh that's invasive because it happens to be a non-native species and there's two or three of them in the corner we would then end up with a very very long list of things we've identified as invasive and that would ultimately lead to a real problem because then the wider non-scientific community would be saying well why aren't we doing anything about this invasive species and frankly we don't have the resources you know um, invasiveness is mediated frankly by actually what we can afford to manage and particularly as our environment becomes more challenged by things like climate change invasive species and habitat loss. So broadly speaking, we often say one in a hundred species probably would get the moniker of invasive these days. And is there any sort of double standards around invasiveness um, whereby there's economic value attached to a particular plant and therefore we kind of decide, well, that's not invasive because it's making us money? <laughs> so the question again of invasiveness being modulated by economic interest or, you know, actually, for example, um, people's personal desires and views. And yes, absolutely. We do know that, you know, for example, um, plant species which have been used as golf course plants, for example, certain grass types have actually then gone on to be invasive in the areas they've introduced. But there are strong financial and often political and social drivers for not doing anything about that because of the interests of that one community and closer to home within the UK a classic example for me um, is Budlia. Budlia is known culturally um, and widely as the butterfly bush despite the limited evidence of it being useful for um, our wild butterflies in this country it is globally recognized as to being quite a severe invasive species outside of its home territory of China and adjoining countries um, yet despite that within the UK because Budlia is such a key part of the ebb and flow of UK horticultural commerce and what we believe about it. Um, nothing is done, despite the fact that I personally view Budlia as being one of the most severe and serious terrestrial invasive plant species in this country. The movement of plants around the world can be largely attributed to man's doing, and we call them invasive, as if to long arm ourselves from the situation. What impact has this had on the discussion of uh, plant movements? The interplay between the language of invasiveness and human activities is fraught with complexity. And um, one of the things we do know is that over the last 300 years, the rate of biological invasion, whether it be plants or other organisms, has massively increased and is still increasing, largely driven 
by various forms of global commodity movements, such as wood, timber, crops, horticultural materials, um, and, and there is, as I say, no sign of that abating. Now, the interrelationship between the kind of economic and cultural needs of people and actually kind of identifying something as invasive um, and taking action is deeply, deeply problematic and challenging at times. Um, and it is also intermerged with people's views about what rain shift is. Sometimes people believe that, you know, or something's established in that particular area and it's moving and therefore, you know, it's become part of the ecology and the environment. And often argue, for example, that um, in a world of changing climate, species ranges are shifting dramatically, um, all of which are true. But we shouldn't confuse range shift that is mediated through natural expansion, although that is frankly getting harder to define than us moving things around the environment and causing problems. Um, so in, certainly in Europe and Britain at the moment, as in many other parts of the world, we're seeing very, very significant shifts in species ranges. Um, an example in the UK with two common grasses now, which at 50, 100 years ago were national rarities, one called early meadow grass and the other one called um, waterbent. Both have become very, very frequent in many urban areas in southern Britain. And that is driven by climate change. Now, again, these species are not necessarily invasive because their impacts in, those, in these new environments that they've colonised is limited. And they are European species anyway. And it's possible to argue that maybe without the formation of the channel after the last ice age and maybe given another 100,000 years of time, they may well have migrated further into southern Britain through natural things. So the boundaries between natural migration and movement and invasiveness caused by human mediated things around the globe is sometimes complex to underpin. But one of the things that is really, really important is that European species moving north through environmental shifts, climate change, natural range expansion, are much, much less likely to have a negative impact upon those adjoining parts of Europe that they move into. And the primary reason for that is they have co-evolved with other European pathogens and organisms which regulate their population and migrate with them. That is not the same as what happens, for example, with taking either purposefully or accidentally a European blackberry species and planting it in New Zealand and then it running amok all over New Zealand because they are what we would kind of essentially refer to as released from their predator restraints. They don't have any natural competitors in their new environment. So range shift is a valid thing to question and discuss. But when you move biota from one part of the world to other parts of the world where the biota is not related to what it is, you get problems. Um, and that is really quite severe invasiveness. And more so with parts of the world which have been evolutionarily worms, for example, in islands, New Zealand, Australia, are relatively isolated from the rest of the world over the last few many millions of years, they are much, much more likely to be negatively impacted by invasive species. Unlike somewhere like Britain, which is a relatively young ecosystem, courtesy of the last ice ages, and is quite closely connected um, to the continent of Europe.
This uh, movement and expanding of uh, plants' ranges, it sort of rings true with immigration that we see moving across mm. the world, in part the result, of course, of climate change. It is a very interesting question about how we view and consider and look at biological invasion and then the cultural realities of human movement around the globe. Um, I'm very, very careful as a scientist to keep... Um, those elements separated in certain manner. So for example, I don't use the word alien, which is actually enshrined in various forms of international legislation as the de rigueur word for invasive, um, because I believe it is too culturally loaded um, to be useful for in many societies and many forms of communication with non-scientists. And I wish we as a scientific community globally would get rid of that word because I don't think it is beneficial. I use the word non-native because um, when I'm talking about invasives, because most of them, frankly, are non-native, um, are not native, because it has less cultural weight. I recognise it's not an easy word in some respects, but it fits better than some of the other language we have at the moment. Um, but I think it's really, really important to remember that actually sometimes when we talk about biological invasion, particularly in Europe and North America, and we then start equating scientific responses to those with um, cultural issues around racism, for example, and about identity and what native means for human beings, which is a very, very different language construct, that we risk serious harm. And in many ways, I think it's actually quite culturally privileged because um, we are in societies which are wealthy, we are relatively speaking buffered against the risks of invasive species. Um, critiquing biological invasions, for example, in an African context um, as and scientific response around that as being racist, I think is deeply problematic because uh, organisms such as the fall army worm are causing huge economic devastation and loss of livelihood and frankly loss of life in places like Africa. Um, and so these are quite weirdly bent through a prism um, discussions that we sometimes have in Britain and, and North America around use of language as non-native. A non-native species is not a good thing or a bad thing, you know, it just is a matter of process. It's about an organism being in one place because of human activity. The value judgment is in the invasive moniker, where, as I say, we use it very carefully and judgingly with only a small proportion of organisms, which are deeply problematic, not only to biodiversity, ecosystems, but they're also problematic often for things like human well-being, economic prospects, damage to infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so they are interesting discussions to have around how we use language, but we need to be really mindful about actually um, where that language goes um, and it can be really detrimental because blocking um, ideas of discussing biological invasion, invasiveness, which is often, as I say, centered around non-native species, has economic and human well-being and environmental consequences. If these things become verboten on some level, then we have serious, serious problems because, as I say, globally, 
Invasive species are one of the big three that is causing biodiversity loss. Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society. The Linnaean Society of London. 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 London.